go with me to John 14, we'll do a little bit of review to get where we're going today. I don't plan to be before you too long tonight, but let's go to John 14. I'm really trying to set up where I want to go this Sunday and the following Sunday. So John 14, verse 1. John 14, verse 1, which has been our text scripture for the series on heaven. And if you miss any of the series on heaven, we have all the messages where you can watch it on YouTube and on Faith Plus and our Apple podcast. So John 14, verse 1, Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. That's what I emphasize all the time when I read this scripture. You have control over your heart. Go ahead and put that in the chat. Say, I have control over my heart. Come on, say it again. Say, I have control over my heart. It is your responsibility to control your heart. Don't say, well, God, today I need you to control my heart. God, come on, control my heart. Say, no, that's not his job. That is your job. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. This is a command from the Lord Jesus Christ. Control your heart. Control your emotions. Control what you think about. Control what keeps coming in. You have to pay attention to what you digest on a regular basis. I'm not just talking about your food, which is good. You do need to pay attention to that. Not just pay, well, what else I put on my body? Yeah, pay attention to all those things. Pay attention to what you watch. Pay attention to what you hear. What you continually watch, especially what you continue to hear, especially. Because if you pay attention, your heart is affected by all those things. Your heart is continually affected by what you keep pouring in, your eye gates and your ear gates. And if you always know your heart is troubled or agitated or disturbed or you, you lose your equanimity, as that word also means, then you need to watch what you're putting in. You need to watch what's going in on the inside. Your heart is too important to your success for you to allow to be troubled during these times. Your heart is too important to your success in these times for you to allow it to be troubled. So, like, oh, Pastor, don't you get what's going on? Yes, I'm living through it with all of you. I see everything that's going on, just like you do. But your heart is too important. And beyond that, you have a command from Jesus. Don't let it be troubled. Don't let it be agitated. Don't let it be disturbed. Don't lose your equanimity. So what do you do? I choose joy. What do you do? I choose peace. What do you do? I choose the word of God. I choose to believe my outcome will be exactly what God says it is. I choose to believe I'll see the goodness of God in the land of the living. I choose to rejoice now because I know my end from my beginning. So yes, there may be some things that go through. There may be some drama that's surrounding us. There may be all these things going on. But we know that is a light temporary affliction. Because if we can see it, it is subject to change. We know the end from the beginning. We know we win. We know we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. We know we have the victory. We know God's going to cause it all to work out for our good. So in the meantime, we need to control the heart. In the meantime, we need to control our emotions. In the meantime, we need to keep our focus on what God told us to do. So let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And so one of the things we saw from this verse, and as the passages we talked about over the last few weeks, that there are heavenly mansions for each and every believer. It's a place prepared for you specifically by Jesus himself. So Jesus has prepared things for you in heaven, and they are 
wonderful. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Just doing a little bit of review until we go to where we're going tonight to set up for this weekend. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. The Apostle Paul says, We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Go ahead and put that in the chat. Say, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. To be absent from the body, for you, the believer, is to be present with the Lord. And as you talk about this word present, doesn't mean, oh, I'm here, like we're in class in school, grade school again, saying present. That's not what that word means. That word present means to be at home. It means to be in your own home country with your own people. So to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord, with your own people in your own heavenly country. That's so powerful. We let that sink in. And as I shared in the previous weeks, this lets you know heaven belongs to you. You know, we talk about heaven is God's home. Well, heaven's your home. Heaven is as much your home as it is God's home. And heaven belongs to you just like it belongs to him. Why? God shared it with you. Heaven is your home. Go ahead and put that in the chat. Say, heaven is my home. Heaven is my home. Now go with me to Hebrews 11, 14. Just doing a little bit of review. I encourage you, if you miss any of the messages, go to YouTube and Faith Plus or our podcast and catch up. Hebrews eleven fourteen. For they that say such things declare that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from where they came out, they might have opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country that is a heavenly, meaning a heavenly country. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared for them a city. So one of the things we saw when we looked at different parts of heaven, we talked about part of heaven is called paradise. We said part of heaven is called paradise, which a paradise, that word was not talking about a small garden. It was a huge garden. It was that same word that was used to describe the Garden of Eden. This word garden, this word paradise is talking about a large enclosed preserve, a beautiful garden, a huge garden surrounded by walls. When we talk about how large the Garden of Eden was, it covered parts of Africa and the Middle East. And the garden, the one Jesus used that word in the book of Revelation, it was a huge garden that surrounded one of the temples in the city. And so these weren't a small garden, it was a huge garden. And so we know in heaven there's a place called paradise. But what we know from this verse as well as 2 Corinthians 5, there is the heavenly country. And we also learn from this verse and several other verses, there is a heavenly city, which is called New Jerusalem. So when we look at heaven, we see paradise. We see the heavenly country. We see the heavenly city. But there is more in heaven than those things we have covered so far. Now go with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, beginning to get into some new stuff tonight to set up for where we're going Sunday, so don't miss Sunday. John chapter 3. This is a conversation Jesus had with Nicodemus. Nicodemus came to him by night, and Nicodemus, one of the scholars, has questions of Jesus. And verse 9, Nicodemus answered and said unto him, being Jesus, how can these things be? And Jesus answered and said unto him, are you a master or a teacher of Israel, and you don't know these things? Verily, verily, I say unto you, we speak that what you do, we speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and he received not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? 
Put that in the chat. Say heavenly things. Heavenly things. Come on, say it again. Say heavenly things. There are heavenly things. So well, why are you emphasizing that? Because what my purpose of this message tonight, to set up where we're going, is one of the things we've been working towards the last few weeks. Heaven is not just a cloud with some naked little babies with wings shooting grapes in people's mouth. That is not heaven. Because if that is heaven, why would you be excited about going there? And if that is heaven, why would you even think about manifesting that on earth? I want to give you this heavenly tour, start off today, to show you different, I'm not even getting all through it, but the different things that are in heaven. Because Jesus was interested in telling Nicodemus about heavenly things. He said, I can't even tell you about heavenly things because you can't even believe the earthly things. There are heavenly things that you are to know about. We'll go to Ephesians chapter 1. Heavenly things. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. What is referring to? Things that are in heaven. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8, we're going to start at verse 5 and read from the New Living Translation. It says, They serve in a system of worship that is only a copy, a shadow of the real one in heaven. For when Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle, God gave him this warning, Be sure that you make everything according to the pattern I have shown you here on the mountain. Now let's go to chapter 9. Verse 1, that first covenant between God and Israel had regulations for worship and a place of worship here on earth. There were two rooms in that tabernacle. In the first room were a lampstand, a table, and sacred loaves of bread on the table. This room was called the holy place. Then there was a curtain, and behind the curtain was the second room called the most holy place. And that room were a gold incense altar and a wooden chest called the Ark of the Covenant, which was covered with gold on all sides. Inside the Ark were a gold jar containing manna, Aaron's staff that sprouted leaves, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the Ark were the cherubim of divine glory, whose wings stretched out over the Ark's cover, the place of atonement. But we cannot explain these things in detail now. When these things were all in place, the priests regularly entered the first room as they performed their religious duties. But only the high priest ever entered the most holy place and only once a year. And he always offered blood for his own sins and for the sins of the people who had committed in ignorance. By these regulations, the Holy Spirit revealed that the entrance of the most holy place was not freely open as long as the tabernacle and the system it represented were still in use. This is an illustration pointing to the present time, for the gifts and sacrifices that the priests offer are not able to cleanse the consciences of the people who bring them. For that old system deals only with food and drink and various cleansing ceremonies, physical regulations that were in effect only until a better system could be established. So Christ has now become the high priest 
over all the good things that have come. He has entered the great, that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered to the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. So I'm say forever. Now, I want you to see a few things here. We'll skip down to verse 24, then I'll expound a little bit. For Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human plans, which is only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on our behalf. And he did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again, like the high priest here on earth who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of an animal. If that had been necessary, Christ would have to die again and again ever since the world began. But now once for all time he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by its own death as a sacrifice. So here's what I want you to see here. One, we just learned there's a heavenly tabernacle. Did you see that? We've seen the paradise. We've seen the country. We've seen the city. Now we see there's a heavenly tabernacle. And as we talked about this past Sunday, how what Moses saw and later what David saw, they saw into heaven. God may have even took and taken them to heaven. They saw into heaven and God gave them instructions to build on earth what they saw in heaven. So everything that Moses built in the wilderness concerning the tabernacle was according to what he saw in heaven. That's why the scripture says to build it like I showed you. What I showed you on the mount, that's what I want you to build. And so Moses built copies of what he saw in heaven. So what Moses saw would be considered heavenly things. Heavenly things. And it wasn't just so important that they talk about in Exodus and in the books of the law. But here in the book of Hebrews, it's reminding us that Moses built based off of the things he saw in heaven. We're still talking about heavenly things. And I'll tell you why it matters as we keep going. Go to, let's go to chapter 12. Chapter 12. You know, Hebrews chapter 11. Of course, it's the story of these heroes of faith. And you get to chapter 12, verse 1, still in the New Living Translation. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, King James is a great cloud of witnesses, to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily strips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people, then you won't become weary and give up. And so one of the things we learned that the people in heaven are cheering us on. Paul, the Paul or the writer of the book of Hebrews is using an analogy of a track meet, of a stadium filled with people cheering on people to run their race. Heaven is cheering you on. Go ahead and put that in the chat. Say heaven is cheering me on. Go ahead and put that in the chat. Say heaven is cheering me on. So you know that there are crowds of tens and hundreds of millions, billions of people in heaven who are cheering you on. Now let's skip down a little bit further in Hebrews chapter 12. Look at verse 18. It says, You have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flame and fire, darkness, gloom, and a whirlwind, as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible or so awesome that they begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back under God's command. If even an animal touched the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight, he said, I am terrified and trembling. No, you have come to Mount Zion 
to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. You have come unto the assembly of God's firstborn children, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself, who is the judge of all things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven, who have been made perfect. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks of forgiveness, instead of crying out for vengeance, like the blood of Abel. I want to read this to you from the King James real quick. It says, But you are coming to Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to a numerable company of angels to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven to God, the judge of all, and to spirits of just men made perfect. This word general assembly, as we covered in one of the previous messages, is talking about a joyful celebration. It was a word used to describe public games and public ceremonies. It's a game we would, we would use that word to describe the Olympics going on right now, that they've gathered in this joyful celebration. And this was describing all these believers in having a joyful celebration. These are heavenly things. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Starting with verse 1, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fades not away, reserved in heaven for you. You have an inheritance in heaven reserved for you. Notice what it says about this inheritance. It's incorruptible and undefiled, and it fades not away. There is an inheritance in heaven right now reserved for you. Put that in the chat. So there's an inheritance in heaven reserved for me. There's an inheritance in heaven reserved for me. Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 12. Deuteronomy 28, verse 12. Deuteronomy 28, verse 12 says, The Lord shall open unto you his good treasure, the heaven, to give the rain into your land into a season, and to bless all the work of your hand. And you shall lend unto many nations, and you shall not borrow. Now, some people say, well, see, the treasure is just talking about clouds and rain. Well, no, because now it's more than just rain. Yes, it includes rain. We can even look at Joel 2 and talk about spiritual rain. But it also includes the blessing, the blessing that comes upon all the works of your hands, the blessing that will enable you to lend into many nations and where you won't have to borrow. But notice where this good treasure is, or this word treasure means storehouse. Where is the storehouse? There is a storehouse in heaven. A storehouse in heaven. Go with me to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. Talk about heavenly things. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Bring ye all the tithes to the storehouse, that there may be meat or provision in my house. And prove me now here what says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Notice once again, there are windows to heaven. We'll get into that later in the series. There's windows to heaven. And in heaven is a blessing that can be poured out upon the earth. Let's go to, well, we won't go there for the sake of time, but Acts 10 lets us know that there can be memorials built in heaven that causes things to happen 
on the earth. I'm looking forward to sharing that to you in a future message. Go with me now to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, one of the places where I really wanted to go tonight. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Another translation says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Yet another translation says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. One more. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. Now the thing is, this is past tense. Heavenly blessings are already yours. Whether you access them or not, they already belong to you. You know, I was sharing this when we were in Marietta. I was using this as an example. I said, can you imagine if you got to heaven and God, and God was showing you around and he opened this large room and Jesus pointed in and you look and say, all these wonderful things in there. Say, oh man, Jesus, that's so wonderful. Is that my heavenly reward? And he goes, no. That's what I have for you on earth, but you would have received it. How many things are we passing up because we think it doesn't belong to us or we can't have it in this life or we believe some lie that says, you know, we're disadvantaged and we can't have what God has for us? Hmm? Think about that. There are blessings that are in heaven that are yours now, that by faith you can have a manifest in this earth. This is past tense. When you were born again, you were blessed with these spiritual blessings. In the heavenlies. Why have I been talking about heavenly things tonight? Because so many of those things, which we'll get to later in this series, contain blessings for your life now. Not just for heaven. Yeah, there's some things associated with those for heaven, for your eternal time there. But for your temporary time on this earth, those things have blessings for you that you're supposed to operate in right now. That's some of the places we're going into the series. It's yours now. Go ahead and put that in the chat. Say it's mine now. Go on, put that in the chat. Come on, say it's mine now. Say it out loud. Say it's mine now. One more time. Say it's mine now. Not later. Not the sweet by and by. Right now. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, and we'll close here. You see, one of the things, you'll see this word heavenly in Ephesians a lot. And it means referring to the things that exist in heaven. The things that belong in heaven. It's places in heaven. It's inhabitants and the people of heaven, and it's also the things in heaven. We've always been talking about tonight, heavenly things. He has blessed you with all of the blessings connected to the heavenly things and the things that are in heaven and what exists in heaven. It's yours right now. I need you to get that. It's yours right now. I'm trying to give you an accurate picture of heaven over the next few weeks so you understand. You can be excited about where you're going, but you can be excited about what you have right now. Now, and I said, oh, I'll get it one day in eternity, but right now. I know you already put it in the chat, but say it again. Say right now. Go ahead, put it in the chat again. Say right now. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If you be risen with Christ, anybody risen with Christ? If you then be you then been risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on the things on the earth. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ. I'll read it to you in another translation. 
New Living Translation says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. The message version. So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground. Absorb with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. See things from his perspective. Because thinking where Christ sits, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself for the future messages, but thinking about where he sits, seated at the right hand of God. To see the things on earth, he has to see them through all these heavenly things, which contains blessings for you right now. I think I'm going to stop right here, set up for where we're going to Sunday. So don't miss Sunday in Fayetteville at 9 a.m. Don't miss Sunday in Austell at 10 a.m. And don't miss us online at 10 a.m. as well as we continue down this path. So not only can you be excited about heaven, but you can have heaven on earth. As you've heard me share again and again and again in this series, for a believer, the first time you encounter heaven shouldn't be when you die and get there. You should be so well acquainted with heaven now that you can pass out samples on earth and that when you get there, you just went home. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you because you are good and your mercy endures forever. We thank you for your presence in our home and we thank you for what you have for us in heaven. And we thank you that you've blessed us with all the blessings in heavenly place since we are, re since we are united to Jesus. Help us be heavenly minded so that we can be earthly good. Grant us insight so we can manifest heaven upon the earth and help us to be hearers of this word and doers of this word. So as the book of James says, we can be blessed in our doing. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.